So Ephesians 6, 10 to 24 in the ESV. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am doing, how and what how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be, all, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amanda, thanks very much for reading for us. And so the, the question that I want to kick off this lunchtime is this, uh, what is the most effective way to cause a Christian to stumble? Uh, perhaps you know a colleague who is a Christian, he's a really hard worker, he's really responsible, but he's a bit of a wet blanket. I mean, he, he doesn't join in the office gossip, he doesn't get wasted together with the rest of the boys. And the worst thing is that he keeps inviting you to these Christian events, uh, Christian explored, evangelistic events, and you just want him to stop. I mean, you are okay with him as a person, but you want to show him that his beliefs are a little old-fashioned, a little archaic. Or maybe you just don't like Christians. Or you think religion is bad for society. So let me ask, what is the most effective way to cause Christians to stumble? Let me show you a couple of methods that, uh, to, to use. Uh, firstly, you could make fun of them, or you could throw frequent, but try to be as subtle as possible because that really gets under the skin. Or you could, well, perhaps give them a, make, uh, make it really difficult for them in the workplace, give them a really hard time, increase the pressure, or threaten them. Or you might lobby for society-wide legislation against Christianity. I'm going to assume that all of us here, well, we, we don't really want Christians to stumble. Uh, but I want to suggest that this is a really good question to, to consider. Because knowing what causes Christians to stumble is going to help you to stand firm. So how would you stand firm for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years of your life? How would you endure, persevere to the very end? And with summer coming up, 
a number of us, I'm sure, would be going on holidays, uh, taking a break from, from work and for what's going on in life. How would you stand firm during the summer? And what do you have to do? We've come to the end of the letter, the great letter to the Ephesians, and we've been looking at this letter over the past couple of months, and we talked about the situation of the letter, uh, was what I described as the paradoxical experience of power. You see, Christianity was described, or if you like, described as a victorious um, experience. The Lord Jesus has, has risen. He's at the Father's right hand, above all rule and authority. But the, the feeling of being a Christian, the experience of one, is often weakness, one of great discouragement. And for the Ephesian church, the specific illustration of the weakness uh, was shown by Paul. Uh, Paul being in chains, uh, him being in prison with two metal rings around his wrist. And that's the situation. But what's the, the solution? Well, it's, it's this letter that we've been looking over the past couple of months, the letter to the Ephesians. And Paul wants them, uh, the church, to have a new perspective on power. I've put the structure in the handout um, towards the end. It's for you to be reviewing during your own time if you want to look back into this letter. Um, but the first half of the letter, um, Paul wants them to know to have a very deep sense of the power already at work in them. A power already transforming them, something that transformed them from life to death. A power that has transformed them from being far away from God to be his own dwelling place. A hugely transformational power already at work in them. But of course, the question is, well, what does that mean? Or what does that actually look like? And the surprise in the second half of the letter, chapters 4 to 6, is that this Great power is not shown in grand displays of miracles or impressive signs and wonders, but as ordinary Christians living seemingly ordinary lives. Well, as Christians, they are kind to one another, as they love one another, as they share with one another, or in work, being distinct from, from the world and living differently. Or as husbands, uh, they love their wives. Or as wives, submitting to their husbands. Or as workers, working not for eye service, but unto the Lord. The, all these small acts of ordinary lives shows and demonstrates the power at work. See, this was really radical in the first century and when the Ephesian church first read the letter. See, husbands were domineering, the masters were oppressive. But it's also radical today in the 21st century. Think about how the institution of marriage is seen in secular society, the number of divorce and the breakdown of marriage today. Or think about your office, the, the politics that goes on, the one-upmanship that happens in trying to impress the person above you. The, uh, the message of living ordinary lives is a real evidence of power. Ordinary Christians living seemingly ordinary lives is proof of the resurrection power at work in us. And now we've come to the end of the letter, and the question is, how do we stand? How do we stand firm for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years? What will keep us going? I've got three points for us today, and the first is this. Uh, you, we stand firm by being aware of the battle. Look down with me to verse 10. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the devil and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The devil, that's Satan. The Bible describes him as the great deceiver or great accuser. And so it's worth realizing that the devil is, is not that difficult relationship that you might have or the challenging work situation that you're in. But the battle, the wrestle, is against the devil. And notice the word that Paul uses. He calls it a wrestle. We do not wrestle. And so the Christian life is, is not a walk in the park, but a wrestle. And the word wrestle, the Greek word there is a picture of two men grappling together. Think about a uh, mixed martial arts match. Two fighters locked in combat, bruises and cuts all over their faces, trading blows with one another. And that is the picture of the Christian life, a wrestle against the devil. So we stand firm by being aware of the battle. See, Paul, he wants to pull back the curtains to help us to see what's going on behind the scenes. He helps us to, he wants us to really see what's going on. Uh, It's the devil and his lackeys working hard to distort truths about God and the gospel. So let me ask, what is the most effective way to cause a Christian to stumble? Uh, let me suggest, don't, don't make fun of them. Uh, don't give them a hard time. I'd rather befriend them, be really nice to them, and make their lives feel really comfortable. I make them feel at ease and relax. I keep their focus on home improvements or on the next holiday. I help them to live for the present. Help them to be comfortable. Or if life is challenging for them, uh, you make them think that worldly problems require worldly solutions. Or tell them if they, if they want to succeed in the workplace, well, they need to play the same game as everyone else. And perhaps that's why Christianity has declined uh, here in this country. Because over the years, perhaps Christians uh, are too comfortable. Uh, and we present to others Christianity as a nice, comfortable, middle-class life. But if you want to stand, if you want to stand firm, you have to be aware that you are in a battle, a war, a war against the devil. See, chapter 2 in Letter to the Ephesians described the world under the grip of Satan. So the media, the news, the information that that we hear from outside, the values and ideologies, uh, they are not neutral. See, I'm not saying that we need to avoid all those things. But I'm saying to be aware that what comes from outside is not neutral. And how about on the personal level? Um, as you hear the, the lies of the devil being spoken to you, they're telling you to, to minimize your sin. I say browsing through that website, well, it's, it's not that bad. Or thinking less of others, or perhaps because they deserve it. 
or there's nothing wrong joining in with that gossip session because, well, everyone does it. Paul wants us to be aware there is a battle. There's a spiritual battle. He wants to pull back the curtains to help us to see what is really going on. And so it's worth thinking, well, when are you least aware of the battle? Is it when you are busy and stressed with the things of life? Or is it after that? when you are relaxing, or perhaps in the evenings, when you just want to relax? When are you least aware of the battle? Well, how do you stand firm? Well, firstly, by being aware of the battle. Let me be clear. Uh, being aware of the battle doesn't mean we cut ourselves off from it. Uh, we go into self-imposed lockdown or you cancel all your the news from outside. Uh, that's that's not true. I mean, certainly the monastic life that the monks did in the medieval ages, uh, that's what they thought. Uh, but Paul's very clear, that's not the way to do with it. We are in the world, but not off the world. In chapter 5, as Ed was telling us a couple of weeks ago, we are meant to be in the world to expose the darkness, uh, to shine light on the darkness. We are in the world, but not off the world. And so if we are in the battle, um, how do we fight? Within some circles, uh, there are, there's a school of thought that there could be an area of a Christian life that is still controlled by the devil. And so you need to go through this practice, maybe practice is not the right word, but go through this uh, procedure called deliverance, where you deliver that aspect of the Christian, of the life where it's dom- being dominated by the devil. Let me state categorically, there's no biblical backing uh, for anything like that in the Bible. It's very clear. If you are believing in Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be a Christian and have an area of your life controlled by the devil. So how do we fight? How do we fight against the devil? That's where we come to point two. We stand firm by putting on the armor of God. I look down at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We don't wrestle with exorcisms or magic, uh, but by putting on the armor of God. And the the question is obvious. So what does it mean to put on the armor of God? Well, three observations first. Firstly, uh, notice that the different components of the armor, uh, they are all derived from the message of the gospel. Notice the belt of truth. The truth there refers to the truth about God, a truth about God as revealed in the gospel. The breastplate of righteousness, that is the final day verdict on the judgment seat where God would declare you not guilty because of the righteousness given to you through the merits of Christ. The shoes of readiness given by the gospel and that is the readiness to speak the offer of peace to anyone the shield of faith and that is the means by which we are saved a true faith in jesus and not 
by works. The helmet of salvation, that is the salvation we have already experienced if you believe in the gospel. Now, the salvation that brought us from death to life. And the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, uh, that is the gospel word, the declaration that Jesus is Lord, uh, the only offensive equipment in the armory. So the first observation, um, different components of the armor, they all derive from the gospel message. So it's not an add-on that some Christians have and some Christians don't. And you already have it if you are a Christian because you believe in gospel, you, you have the armor at your disposal. And you can trace different aspects of the armor to different parts of the letter in Ephesians. And they've all come up before. That's the first observation. Second observation, uh, putting on the armor, it happens in, in your mind. Uh, the word put on uh, comes up before in chapter 4, verse 23. Let me read it for you, chapter 4, verse 23. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the, the battle or the wrestle, it happens all in our minds. And that's why the first half of Ephesians is all about knowing something. Because it all happens as we renew our minds with the knowledge of the gospel. And so I think it looks something like this. Uh, when the devil, he, he whispers into your ear and he tempts you to, to fall into sin. And he tells you that you have, you have no control over the sin of yours. Uh, you cannot help but to keep sinning. And what do you do? Uh, you, you put on the gospel, the, the armor, and you think, uh, and you say to him, yes, you're right. Um, once I was under your control, I was dead like the rest of the world following you. But you place on the helmet of salvation and you tell yourself, but it's no longer the case. I have been brought from death to life. I no longer follow devil. I can choose not to sin. Or maybe the, the devil, he, he whispers into your ear and he says, you know what? You are an amazing Christian. I mean, you deserve all the praise that you get from people in church. You're so mature. You're brilliant. And it makes you feel good, doesn't it? And so you put on the armor and you think, well, yes, indeed, I, I long to follow Christ. And you pick up the shield of faith and you say, but I am saved through faith, not works. But I cannot boast. See, putting on the armor, well, it happens in, in the mind. There's not some mystical experience or deliverance or holy water or chanting a few verses. It happens as we think about the message, the gospel message, and we apply it against the devil's lies. The, the armor is, is derived from the gospel. Putting on happens in our minds. And in one sense, uh, it's, it's nothing new that we've said so far that we haven't seen yet in Ephesians. Um, so you might ask, what's new um, in this passage? And thirdly, the third observation is what we are putting on, it is God's own armor. It is Yahweh's armor. Uh, what is happening as you, you think about the gospel? Uh, just like 30 seconds ago as we were having that conversation, what is happening as we think about the gospel? Uh, we are strapping on God's own armor to ourselves. Now what, you might say, God's own armor? Well, yes. 
See, these components uh, that Paul is stating here, components of the armor, uh, they are God's armor in the Old Testament. I put a number of references there on your handout, one from Isaiah 11 and another from Isaiah 59. Let me put up the verse for you. And Isaiah 59 uh, reads like this, The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man, and wondered that there were no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and a helmet of salvation on his head. You see, the, the armor that we are putting on uh, is God's own armor. I think it's something like this. Uh, the next time the, the devil whispers into your ear and he tells you, look at your sin. I mean, aren't you a hypocrite? Um, how are you worthy a person if you keep sinning time and time again? And so you put on your thing and you think, well, well, yes, you're right. I'm sinful and at times, or maybe many times, I'm a hypocrite. But you put on God's own breastplate of righteousness and you say to him, but God has already counted me as righteous, not from my own actions, but the righteousness that comes from Christ. And what does the devil see? Uh, he sees you taking Yahweh's armor, God's own armor, and strapping it on to your chest. It's the armor that has defeated him back in Isaiah. Um, he must be terrified, you see, as you strap on God's armor. Uh, he must despair as you wear the armor of God. So if you want to cause a Christian to stumble, like I mentioned before, don't, don't ridicule him. Don't make life difficult for him. Be his friend. But at the same time, you, you tell him that the gospel is really boring. I tell him that he's heard it so many times. You know, it's a really nice message in theory, but it's useless in practice. I see you strip the armor away from him. But if you want to stand firm as a Christian for the next 20 or 30 or 40 years, well, read your Bible. Meditate on the gospel. Uh, be like that tree in Psalms 1 who has his roots planted by streams of waters, drinking deep from the words of life. And more importantly, you speak the words, the truth of the gospels to one another. Even though there are not going to be many formal meetings as we, over the next uh, couple of months, uh, Maybe do informal meetings, just remind each other of the truths of the gospel, because that is the thing that is going to help us to stand firm. And we stand firm by putting on the armor of God. And we have one last piece missing. See, Paul in his letter, he, he not only tells them what to know. If you remember in chapters 1 and 3, he also prays for them. So thirdly, and the last point for today, we stand firm by praying. Look down to verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. And also for me, that the words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare, declare boldly as I ought to speak. And the first thing to note is that prayer is is done alongside the word. Maybe it's slightly artificial that I have made point three separate from point two uh, because you wield the, sword, the word, the sword of the spirit, with prayer. But notice also the, the urgency 
verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, with keep alert, with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints. It all comes up four times, a real sense of urgency. And notice the scope, praying for all saints. Uh, I really enjoy Wednesday morning's prayer meetings because we pray for one another. And Paul encourages here to pray for all the saints. I pray also for your minister, uh, for the Ephesian church, it was to pray for Paul. I pray also for your local church pastor. I pray also for me, uh, that we have words given to us and for boldness to proclaim the mystery. And so we stand firm by praying. I think this third point, stand firm by praying, it really follows on from point number one. The more aware you are of the battle, the more you will pray. Let me read you a quote from um, a book written by John Piper. It's called Let the Nations Be Glad. Uh, I think it's one of the best books that he's written, and he writes about prayer here. That's what he says. Uh, Probably the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayers for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops and gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit. Handed each of them a personal transmitter coded with the frequency of the general's headquarters and said to them, Comrades, the general has a mission for you and he aims to see it accomplished. And to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him. If you stay true to his mission, and if you seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter. If tactical advice, then air cover when you need it. But what have millions of Christians done? We have stopped believing that we are in a war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning. Just easy peace and prosperity. And what did we do to the walkie-talkie? We tried to rig it up as an intercom in houses and cabins and boats and cars, not to call in firepower for the conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comfort. You see, the point that um, is being made is the more aware you are of the war, the more you will pray. So pray alongside the word. Pray with urgency. Pray for each other and pray also for me. Well, unfortunately, if you, if you want to stumble a Christian, um, this is the hardest thing to stop. Uh, you, you can't really stop a Christian from praying. Uh, prayer is probably the most powerful tool in this armory. I hope it's been obvious that um, we, we don't want to stumble each other, um, but it's really good to know the tools of the enemy. And I guess that all of us here, we, we want to stand firm for the next 20 or 30, 40 years. So we we stand firm by being aware of the battle. We wrestle not with flesh, but against the devil. We stand by putting on the armor of God, putting on the troops in the mind. We think about the gospel truths to battle against the lies of the devil, the lies that he's been telling since the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. We put on the truth and we battle against him. And we stand firm by praying. Let me read another quote from the book. 
and he says, there is not a warfare part of life and a non-warfare part of life. Life is war. But most people do not believe this in their heart. Most people show by their priority, priorities and their casual approach to spiritual things that they believe we are in peacetime, not wartime. You see, in wartime, the newspaper carries headlines about troops, how the troops are doing. In wartime, family talks about the sons and daughters on the front lines and write to them and pray for them with heart-wrenching concern for their safety. In wartime, we are on the alert. We are armed. We are vigilant. In wartime, we spend money differently. There's austerity, not for its sake, but because there are more strategic ways to spend money than on new sofa at home. The wartime effort touches everybody. We all cut back. The luxury liner becomes a troop carrier. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Let me pray. Father, we do pray and ask that we may be strengthened with all power and endurance, that we may be able to stand firm against the devil. Father, we do not want to stumble, but we want to stand firm for the next 20, 30 or 40 years, or however, however long you have given us on this earth. We pray that you might sustain us, help us to be aware of the battle, help us to put on the gospel truths each day, and help us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.